Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to tonight's show, California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and I have a great lineup. I have a surprise guest tonight. See? I told you it was a surprise. Brooks Agnew is with us, and uh, he's going to be telling us about his uh, studies on the Anunnaki and those sorts of things. So we're going to be talking to him about that. In the meantime, my name again, my name is Charlotte. I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team. Based out of Sacramento, California, we are 45 strong up and down the state, California. So if you have a paranormal issue that you need help with, give us a ring, uh, send us an email, and we'll get out there. As, uh, because we're not all just in Sacramento. We're spread out around the state. So we can cover every county in the state. So if you have a problem, let us know. We'll come out and help you out. Um, it's great. This is my Friday night. I'm real excited about it. <laughs> you know, um, we're doing one more show this week. For Nancy Matz, and uh, it's going to be kind of fun tomorrow. Tomorrow will be a fun show. But tonight, I want to talk about the t- talk with Brooks. You know, he's got several books out. I'm going to let him tell you about him because it's easier. You know how I am about that stuff. So, without further ado, let me bring Brooks in. Hello, sir. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Wonderful. It's been a long week already. I, it's not my Friday, but uh, it's close enough. I'm glad it's my Friday. I'm tired. I got one more a short show to do tomorrow, and then I'm, I'm off for the rest of until Sunday at least. So, well, I'm in pre-Friday calm down mode. So, there you go. Tell everybody about you, sir. Oh wow. Well, there's not much to tell. I, I have 11 books in print. Uh, seven of them have been Amazon bestsellers. Um, they're all about the origin and destiny of the Earth, and uh, we sort of weave the uh, Nephilim and their supernatural control of what I call the global syndicate, which goes back many thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, is a, it is an ongoing and never-ending effort to control the world. And uh, that's the conflict that we're seeing right now. Only with today's media, we're able to you know, share what it is they're doing. And uh, those people that are awake and can see what's going on, uh, see what, no one else in history has ever been able to see. Very interesting. So I'm a professional engineer. I work full-time still for the Fortune 100. And uh, I'm right now working in what's called advanced manufacturing engineering. It has always been a good industry, but the last uh, three years, it's been insane. Mm-hmm. Because of the great resignation, these companies still have to get work done. So I am designing all kinds of automation and employee assistance equipment so that they can still get the quality out without having to have somebody that's been on the line for 20 years. Right, right. Sounds interesting, though. I mean, you know, and uh, I've read a couple of your books. Oh, cool. Fascinating fascinating stuff. Absolutely fascinating. Tell everybody, I mean, when you talk about the, uh, the, the, the Anunnaki, what makes well, it so scary? You know what I mean? Because it is kind of scary with what's going on. Yeah, it is because, you know, people are kind of for a long time really didn't believe that there was such a thing as an off-worlder mm-hmm. living on this planet and interacting with mankind. I mean, we read about it in in things like the Old Testament or in, uh, you know, the Book of Enoch or things like that. And, of course... You know, there have been legends, but when you start really looking at the long-range planning, like 3,000, 4,000-year planning, humans are <clears throat> humans are a little bit different. Each generation of, of uh, king and prince and king and prince and king and prince, they, they sort of add their own flavor to things. They have their own ego that they inject into what's going on in the world. But when you back away a little bit, you see a strategy, not necessarily the tactics, but you see a strategy that is a single mind. 
operating for thousands of years. There is no change. There's always this direction. And there are always generals and colonels and officers and soldiers who are willing to give up their eternal salvation for power and pleasure on this world. I mean, I understand that that's understandable. I mean, that, that's what they want. I mean, it's all about power. I mean, let's just get down to the nitty gritty of all this. I mean, you see, you see this all over the world with these dictators and all this. And to have that ultimate power is, is the goal. But and then to but to involve themselves with something like the Anunnaki, you know, the, 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 the I can't even say it right, with with, with alien beings, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, this is where the real power comes from, though. I mean, it's insane, though. You know, single men. You know, uh, the king fears his princes because the. <sighs> I clicked him. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I clicked you. My bad. Oh, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> The king really fears his princes more than he does his enemies. Right. Because they want what he has. Right. But and and that's the way it's been for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. But for the last, I'm gonna say 89 years or so, there has been a global effort, multinational, and it has been highly coordinated. And no, and in fact, the greed of men. And the lust of humankind is sort of welcomed by them. It's blessed by them. Mm -hmm. And so you have guys who, you know, ordinarily couldn't hold a full-time job. They're worth billions of dollars. Where does this money come from? Mm -hmm. It comes from this force. And you think, oh, well, they just want to control the world. No, they want to control all worlds. They're on many planets. And it's always the same tactic, always the same strategy. Is this because, I mean, as far as this control thing too, is this, because, I mean, the deals that they've made with, with, you know, with these aliens, is it over technology or is it just the fact that they, they, they feel they, they can get this stuff or information from these aliens that they could use us like puppets with? Well, that's a very good question because what we have seen over the millennia is that the weapon systems and the economic systems have become much more sophisticated, but always sort of balanced. You know, whatever one side has, mysteriously the other side gets. And it seems like this small handful of, of uh, you know, world domination forces are selling weapons and selling money and selling gold and selling humans to both sides and then watching them fight one another. So you think to yourself, well, I mean, what kind of wealth w would an Anunnaki value, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when they can have worlds, they could easily just wipe us all out. Mm -hmm. What do they really want? And what we did in the Ark of Millions of Years series, which is 2,000 pages, mm -hmm. uh, starting with 44 ancient cultures, when we finished that series up, we realized that these off-worlders, all they really want is every soul in the universe. It's a battle for the eternal souls of every single sentient being in the universe. And it's an ongoing war, and it's been going on for a long, long time before this world. Um, along that line, the other thing you notice in history, too, is that, like you say, one side always has pretty much what the other side has. But in the last, since I've been a kid, we'll put it that way, you know, I remember the encyclopedias as a kid, man was going to go to the moon, yada, yada, yada. You know, the, they were all like that. But then since I've been a kid, I'm in my, I hate to admit it, but <laughs> being in my 50s like I am, technology has just taken off. Oh, yeah. Are they giving us this technology, are, are they giving us this technology in big lumps? Or is it us that's got all this technology and, and whoever's in charge is releasing it as they decide to release it? The technology has is kind of a two-edged sword. On the one side, it makes it where humans don't have to spend a significant amount of their day foraging for food and gathering enough drinking water to get through the day. Mm -hmm. We we spend almost you know time through the drive-through, and that's about it. We we use the technology to make us make available to us 
more free time to do what we want to do. Sure. Um, and so that's one edge of the sword. Mm -hmm. The other edge of the sword, the, the sword, the side that really gets the funding, like from DARPA or the CIA or the Queen of England or these oligarchs in the Netherlands or Russia or whatever, the, the side that really gets the money is the technology that's good for weaponry. Sure. And so this is the two-edged sword. Yes, we have learned a lot about, you know, curing disease, but do we cure disease? No, we treat disease. Mm -hmm. We make diseases. Who pays for the making of the diseases? Well, DARPA does. Well, who does DARPA work for? And that's the $64 billion question. And that's the other thing I was thinking of. I mean, I've seen reports online, you know, in, in different newspapers where there has been a cure for cancer. It has come out, but they, but, but they won't do anything with it. Well, the, the question is they, because, you know, human uh, society goes through four cycles. Mm -hmm. It's like a, it's like a, a four a pie, a four pie slice wheel. Right. And the cycle, let's start with mercy. Mercy happens after a great cataclysm, after a, a war, after some, you know, terrible disaster. People cry out for mercy and it's granted. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is a period of peace where people remember what war is like. They remember what the tsunami was like. They remember what the explosion of the volcano was like. And we have peace for a long time. But what happens in every society is there is about two to 3% of the souls that are born on this planet that are just naturally evil. They enjoy killing. They enjoy stealing. They enjoy inflicting pain on other people. They enjoy raping. And so we set up police forces inside our societies to protect society from that, to protect our kids, to protect our wives, to protect our businesses. And the, the police administer uh, a modicum of justice. They take the bad people, remove them from society and incarcerate them so, so we can have normal lives without having to look over our shoulder or worry about you know bullets coming through the bedroom window. Mm -hmm. It gets to a point where that justice system reaches two levels. One level for the people who are associated with the global syndicate, nothing can touch them. Mm -hmm. They don't get arrested. They can steal billions of dollars. They cannot pay their taxes for years and years and years. They can rape. They can murder. They can uh, blackmail, and nothing ever happens to them. The other level of justice is the street justice, you know, the boot-kicking, baton-swinging, you know, Glock-shooting justice. And what happens is justice becomes denied, when justice is denied long enough, the people then push for war. Sure. And then we go through the cycle again. So it is mercy, peace, justice, war. Mercy, peace, justice, war. And right now, we're nearing the end of the justice cycle. Mm -hmm. Everybody's hollering for justice. Mm -hmm. We see them for who they are. We see these oligarchs. We see these, uh, you know, super rich politicians that seem to walk through life consuming everything in their path and nothing ever happens to them. They can steal, they can lie, they can cheat, they can do whatever they want to do. They can destroy ordinary people and nothing ever happens to them. Soon the justice cycle will end and we will go into the war cycle. And this is what the Anunnaki manage. They manage this cycle because they feed off of this energy of conflict, of hatred. They don't like people loving. They don't like families. They don't like babies being born. They don't like life. They want us to feed off of each other and hate one another because they they uh, live or thrive off that hatred energy. Now, when you talk about the Anunnaki, for the people that don't know what they are, who they are, can you, can you explain that? It's a big it's a big group, okay? There are theories that there was this like 10th planet that comes around every, I don't know, 3,600 years. And what gets close enough to Earth, 
uh, that can jump off that planet onto this planet and then have to wait another 3,600 years to get off this planet again. In the meantime, they they cause all con- kinds of mischief. But, and, and you know, you can go back to Babylonian scrolls, you can go back to the Maya, the Toltecs, the Olmecs, uh, way, way back, six, 7,000 years, we see evidence of these really giant, really intelligent, really powerful, knowledgeable beings. And the crazy thing is they pretty much all look the same. They have the same tools. They have the same wings. They have the same uh, body shape compared to man. And, of course, we think, oh, well, that's just, you know, stylized. No, it's not. No, it's not. All these people from the Egyptians to the Olmecs to everybody, they recorded these individuals and they are remarkably similar. And we've we investigated the theory that, you know, all mankind originated in one place and then they kind of traveled across bridges and boats and whatever and spread their their customs around the planet. But we debunked that because Mm -hmm. there's no evidence of that. What there is evidence of is each individual civilization was visited. Okay. They were visited. They were coached. They were taught. They were groomed. And and the world was basically done all at the same time over thousands of years. Each time, just a little bit better technology, better roads, better uh, water management, better socioeconomic management, money was created all of these things, but the Anunnaki didn't learn this stuff. These offworlders didn't learn this stuff. They brought this stuff to us. In the Bible, they call them watchers. In the uh, uh, you know ancient scrolls in in Babylonia, or even going back as far as the Sanskrit writings, they have different names, but mm-hmm. they all have the same purpose. If you go to the Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City you will see likenesses that are 1,200 years old that they dug up, and they look the same. They have feathers about them. They're 12 to 15 feet tall compared to men, and men worship them as gods because effectively they are. I mean, they're, they're so powerful and so smart compared to ordinary humans. They were worshipped, and they were feared. I was just thinking, you know, when you were saying that of, of the cave they found up in Arizona that mysteriously disappeared where they found the skeletons of the giants in that mm-hmm. cave. And then they, you know, they tried to get it to the Smithsonian and all that. And all of a sudden you didn't hear anything about it. Everything disappeared. Yeah. They went to the same place as, as various laptops have gone in the last few years. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And then I'm thinking too, like you say, they all look the same. I'm thinking of, of some of the statues that, that have been found. You know, you, you could go and look at statues in Peru, and you could go and look at statues in Hawaii or whatever, and, and, and they, they look exactly the same as the statues over in Peru. It is. They get around. I mean, they obviously, they could travel around to different places. And they had, you know, different names for them, but they, they called them the, uh, you know, beings of light or the enlightened ones or the uh, watchers or... Uh, you know, they taught them animal husbandry and certain modicum of medicine and, of course, weaponry. Mm-hmm. The working of metal, the working of tactics. And why did they do this? They did this because ostensibly, and I'm just using this as a, an assumption, they're lower in population than we are. They have extremely long lifetimes. We humans, we breed like bacteria compared to them. And so from time to time, they have to wipe us out with various things, diseases mm-hmm. or wars or natural disasters uh, they take advantage of. And when sometimes when these natural disasters come or when they're, you know, off-world disasters, like let's say the flood of Noah was kind of an off-world disaster, mm-hmm. uh, they simply just go off planet, wait for the disaster to pass, and then they come back. And so you see them in, in Genesis and then the flood comes, they go away, and mm-hmm. then they come back. Here they are in numbers again, or in Deuteronomy again. You know, they're they're playing with men and breeding with women and creating giants and manipulating us and our society. Now, I don't know if we modern people today would worship someone 18 feet tall. I think right. we would just summarily blow them up. Exactly. So 
the weapon systems have gotten to the point now where we could actually defeat them. So I don't think they come out on the front lines like a general. I think they work behind the scenes like in Cheyenne Mountain or Antarctica or in some ancient cave in, in France. And so these leaders who we have no idea where their power comes from because they're they're functionally illiterate, they meet with them and they make the deals and they get the wealth. And that's what's that's why we're ending the this justice cycle and we're getting ready to enter the war cycle again. I was just again, I was just thinking as, as you were talking, like you're talking about how we'd probably blow them up. You know what they'd want? The scientists would want to grab one and dissect it. That's what they would do. That's how the scientists think. They would want one to dissect. Yeah, uh, they, and they probably have, but yeah. we will never know about it. We'll I never mean, know about it. it now, when you to... think back, and what what you say makes perfect sense because all this debate over how we built, how the pyramids were built, you know, and then and then you look at the, the the stuff the Greeks built, you know, the and the Romans had all that sophistication as as far as you know their their water systems and stuff. I mean, these were ancient people that, and I don't want to say it lightly, but I mean, come on, like way back when. Well, you want to say they were primitive. Right. But, you know, I, I've been all those places. I've traveled them. I've sat up there, you know, at nighttime and wondered not only how was this built. I'm, I'm an engineer. I'm curious. I want to know how it was yeah. built. But the bigger question came when I was in Chichen Itza, when I was in, uh, in uh, Giza, or when I was in China, you look at these edifices that were built long before what we consider modern man the bigger question is why why were they built Mm -hmm. why did the maya spend a considerable amount of their gross national product to build these edifices that took tremendous amounts of technology to build it didn't feed their people it didn't protect them they didn't give them housing it it didn't do anything for them in that day a lot of things were built for the future. Mm-hmm. We don't do that. We don't build anything for the future. We don't care about the future. Right. We care about now. We don't care about somebody that is going to live 500 years from now. So it came to me one night. We are eternal beings having a mortal experience. We can all agree with that. Sure. We do live mortal lives 60, 80, 100 years, and then we die. Our body dies, but our spirit lives on. Where the uh, argument comes in, about three quarters or more of the world believe that we reincarnate, we come back again, even as groups, you know, as pods of souls. We go through periods of time together sometimes we're the husband sometimes we're the wife sometimes we're the kid uh sometimes we're friends and we meet some you know it just it varies but we go together after the last person dies a little bit of time goes by we agree to come back and we come back again and we meet up again today we can do that way better than ever before Mm -hmm. we can find our soulmates so fast on this planet and we can get back together. And what we realized that one night sitting on top of Chichen Itza is we built those things. We built those things thousands of years ago. Why? Because we knew we were coming back. And when we came back, we were going to make we were going to be like called to go there and we would go there and we would say I wonder who built these things. I wonder why they built them. But we feel a kinship with them. And one of the things that those edifices do is they excite in us a desire to know. And that knowledge then downloads into us and we remember who we are. The reason we did that is because our planet, our solar system, our galaxy is nearing a place in space where we need to we need to have all this knowledge we're getting ready to have a conflict on a level this planet has never seen before and what we need are champions who remember who they are and there are millions of us now on this planet i was just thinking also while you were talking about the whole reincarnation thing could it be that us on earth are the vessels for them. I mean, you know, the, their souls are, are within us, which is why we have this knowledge to build this stuff. And then when we die, we go back. 
up with them and then we come back well, and that's you, how we're able to remember all these other lives it's a matter of dna our dna was built by the creator and maybe mm -hmm. we had something to do with that i don't know but our dna is special and it has a symbiotic relationship with the soul that's inside our body in in the bible the uh, uh, god called it enmity he was going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and all the spirits that followed satan Otherwise, Satan would have said, well, sure, go have create all the bodies you want. My demons will just take them over and we'll, we'll, your whole creation will be frustrated. So God said, no, no, no. In the DNA, I'm going to put enmity in there. And that's going to prevent your demons from seizing control of this physical body. The spirit that's in it is going to control it. And if it wills it, you cannot come in. So what did Satan do? What did Satan do in the Garden of Eden? He seduced Eve. Right. Eve was pregnant. Eve was pregnant with Cain at the time that Eve went back to Adam and said, this is all going to come apart. And Adam said, could have said, well, you know, too bad. So sad. You're out. I'll get another Eve. But Adam loved Eve. And he loved her so much, he said, well, if you go, I go. And so Adam impregnated Eve again, and she was carrying Abel and Cain at the same time. Now, this made a big difference because now Lucifer or Satan's DNA is now in human form. Okay. And so Cain's DNA spread throughout humans which were on the planet at the time right over in the land of nod and that dna can house a demon and we have seen those demons on this planet of course we went to war with them and you know god commanded you know people like jericho uh, or, or, or like david to go wipe out entire villages eliminate their dna and kill their animals too he wanted to get that dna off the planet I don't know why he didn't just eliminate Cain and stop it, but mm -hmm. it is what it is. So thousands of years goes by and all this DNA gets diluted and mankind's doing pretty well. We're beginning to grow again. Nations are forming. Communities are forming. People are being born. We're learning how to, to get along with one another. And DARPA, again, DARPA, says we have been tasked to find Cain's DNA. And we want to gather it together again. So they went to Congress and they said, we want you to fund us. We're going to go out and we're going to gather DNA from everybody all over the world. And we're going to find Cain's DNA and we're going to consolidate it again. Congress said no. So they said, okay, no problem. We'll form a company and we'll offer the service to people and we'll get them to pay for it. And they will voluntarily send us their DNA from all over the planet. And lo and behold, in less than 10 years, they had all the markers. They can now tell you almost what village you came from on this planet. They have all the markers. They found all of Cain's DNA. And the next task was forced mass migration to move the seed into one place so that it could reconstitute in high enough concentration so demons could come back to the earth. And that's where we are now. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. So what do you think is going to be happening then? How do you see things playing out now? <clears throat> well, right now, uh, we have very few leaders on the planet who are able to hold off against this central power. It's already taken over the United States. I, I don't, we don't actually uh, elect our government anymore. We elect officials, but uh, but the the other government, the agencies, departments, bureaus, and administrations, they're all employees. They're unelected. They they assess our taxes. They uh, write our laws. They uh, take enforcement actions against us. They spend all of our money. And we have no representation in that government. So they, they control the United States pretty much lock, stock, and barrel right now. The people don't know that. And if they did, they would, well, there wouldn't be anything they could do about it anyway. 
but other nations, and there are a few that are quite independent, Poland and Hungary and uh, Greece a little bit and Norway, and you know they know what's going on too, and they're trying to stay independent. But the pressure, the sanctions, the pressure is on for everybody to join this central government and then they're going to collapse the money supply, put everybody on a digital currency, and, of course, link your social activity to your currency uh -huh. so that you will then comply. Yeah, people need to realize that for over 5,000 years, this entire planet was ruled by one man at a time with his ships. I mean, uh -huh. the British Empire controlled the entire world. The Roman Empire controlled the entire world. Sure. In 1776, that changed. One group of colonists said, we already know that future. We're choosing a new one. And for, what, 246 years, they've been trying to get this country back. And they have succeeded. Uh -huh. It's it's over. It's America it does not exist anymore. It, it exists in sort of memory. But it would take a tremendous act of of a correction to get it back. We tried to get it back and you saw what happened in oh. four years. It was just open warfare in every city in the country. And oh. it will be way worse than that if we tried it again today. So, um, so yeah. So yeah, I understand where you're coming from with this. It's interesting in that you're right. You can see stuff unfolding now. I mean, look at what's going on over in, in, in Europe right now with the Ukraine, you know, with, with what Mr. Putin's on, on the move to do. What's going to stop him from, you know, taking back Hungary or Poland or, you know, or whatever was under the Iron Curtain? Well, I, I understand that point of view. Uh, I have friends who are on the smoky front line in mm -hmm. Ukraine. Uh, I don't get my news from a five-star hotel in Kiev. I get it right where I can almost smell the smoke through the phone. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a different story. Uh, people don't understand that in 2014, uh, Ukraine was the money laundering headquarters of the world. Uh, child trafficking, uh, money laundering in all currencies. Uh, you remember when uh, Barack Obama flew, what was it, $1.8 billion in cash in two jet loads to Iran? Mm -hmm. That's where it came from. It came from those, those stores. I mean, it was huge. And so Ukraine decided that maybe this isn't for us. You know, you, you've done this long enough. We want to try to, to stop this. And so Viktor Yanukovych, who was Crimean, actually, Russian, but he, he was actually from Crimea, he was the elected president of Ukraine. And Europe went to Ukraine because they were trying to develop their natural resources, just like all the other uh, former Soviet states mm -hmm. were trying to do. And they needed to borrow money. So the transatlantic banks went to him and said, okay, here's our loan package. And all you have to do is sign here and we'll loan you all the money and we'll help you develop all this infrastructure. And we're mostly after the oil and gas that's off the coast of Crimea. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, a sizable amount of money. We call it a debt trap. They did it to Bolivia. They did it to Venezuela. They did it, you know, they just plunged the country into so much debt they can't get out. And then when they can't pay, they basically move in and repossess the country. Mm -hmm. Well, the area that's known as Ukraine has been Russian since 1760. So right before Victor gets ready to sign this loan document, Putin calls him up and says, don't sign that loan document because this is what they're trying to do. We'll loan you the money and we'll give you a discount on gas to help you get a head start and get things going again. Well, Victor's Russian. All of Crimea is Russian. So he said, you know what? That sounds better. I really, this, this whole transatlantic thing really scares me. So he signs Putin's agreement. Everything's well and good until Victoria Newland and John McCain go to Ukraine and overthrow him by force. <laughs> they assassinate is known as the, the Maidan massacre. They just shot people by the hundreds in the streets and they forced Viktor Yanukovych out of the country and they installed Poroshenko. Poroshenko was basically playing ball. They laundered billions of dollars through there. Biden was going over there every three months and just dumping cash. 
And of course, his son had a cushy job at uh, Burisma. But the attorney general equivalent of in Ukraine started investigating Burisma and Biden's son's name pops up. So Joe Biden, in one of his trips over there, says, tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to leave here in about six hours, and I'm taking the billion dollars with me until you fire that attorney general. So they fired him. Simple as that. And they got the billion dollars, same as they've been doing for six years. Well, strange thing happened. Uh, The people had an election, and they put in Zelensky. Of course, Zelensky, you know, he's a comedian. He's a likable guy, but uh, he divided the country in half. And he was playing ball big time with the Biden administration. Well, it wasn't even the Biden administration at that time. Biden was still going over every three months. In fact, the last time he went over there was right before his inauguration. People don't even know that. Uh So for eight years, they funded the building of a new army inside of Ukraine. Railroads all kinds of weaponry, all kinds of supply chain to back them up. And they were getting ready on March 23rd, just about two months ago. March 23rd, they were going to invade Crimea and take it back. They were going to take it back by force. And Crimea doesn't have its own army. They would have slaughtered the people. Putin's spies found out about it and said, well, we've kind of put up with the shelling for eight years of of the Donbass region and the Donbass defenders and the DPR fought as best they could, but they were losing. And so Putin said, that's it. We're not going to allow the invasion. We're going to move in. And it was a absolutely stunningly brilliant military move. It's going to go down in the annals of history as better than Rome. Even it's amazing. They formed a 40 mile long convoy headed for Kiev. And then they stalled it. Everybody was focused on that convoy. Oh, they're heading for Kiev and their old equipment and, you know, just all this negative press about it. And what did Kiev do? They pulled their reinforcements back to protect Kiev. And as soon as they got over the bridges, Russia bombed the bridges, cut off their reinforcements. Then they withdrew the convoy and started to take the Donbass region back. They surrounded the Nazis, which are called the Azov Battalion. They're the old Waffen-SS from 1944. And they slowly squeezed them down. And this week is their last week in existence. They're not going to exist anymore. So Putin has accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish, which was to free Donbass from the Nazis' grip that they've been under for eight years. Mm-hmm. And it shut down the money laundering operation which the West is furious about. And so this is the game that we're seeing. Now, what you see on the news is 100% fake. Everything about Putin's a bad guy, Putin's bombing civilians, blah, 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 blah. The front lines, it's a totally different story. The Russians have set up schools and hospitals and are taking care of prisoners. They're not assassinating anybody. It's a big marketing campaign. I lost my Discord channel yesterday. All my friends lost their Discord channels this week because we were putting up those videos from people like, you know, uh, 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 Patrick Lancaster and the Duran. And, you know, these are frontline people that are have close contacts at the front lines showing us what's really going on. And the people are telling us in their own words what's really going on. And it's totally different than what you see on even Fox News. And why is that? Because Russia is not part of that central bank system. They're one of the resistors, and they need to be brought under to bear. And it's being more of a challenge than they think. And who's pulling the strings for all this then? I mean, we were just talking about the Anunnaki earlier. I mean, is is this all being pulled by by the Anunnaki to keep control of everything? Yeah, that's right. Uh, All, Of course, the, the global syndicate has four divisions. Okay. It has a military division, a political division, an economic division, and the biggest one, almost the most powerful one today, mm-hmm. is what I call the global media empire. It took 50 years for them to buy out all of the major media outlets. It's now controlled by six rich white guys. They control everything. 
and three tech puppets, which uh, Elon Musk just bought one of them or just made his offer to buy one of them. So it's a big disruption, let me tell you. I hope it goes through. They work together, these four pillars, to accomplish their goal of world subservience. And there are a few resistors. Venezuela was one of them. They're not much of a challenge anymore. We have long been gone. We're not one of the resistors anymore. Russia is one of the resistors. And there are some nations in Europe that are resisting as well. They've been in it, but not totally in it. Mm -hmm. They now want out. And the pan-European army, what they like to call NATO, it's not the North Atlantic Treaty Organization anymore. It's a pan-European army. They have not been defensive at all. They have been totally offensive. They have done 67 forcible regime changes since World War II. 67 by force, assassination, conquering, uh, economic sanctions. They have used their force to bring 67 sovereign governments down. That's very aggressive for a defensive organization. And right now they're trying to take Russia down. Can we be honest about something too and say that really, you know, when, when you look at world leaders, and I'm not saying the United States is perfect because it's not, but there's not a perfect world leader. I mean, they've all got dirty hands. Well, almost to be a world leader, you have to be kind of a sociopath anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, is there a bigger sociopath out there than than Donald Trump? Probably not. Mm-hmm. The good news about guys like Donald Trump, and there are others too, is it doesn't matter how far you dig in their past. You can go back mm-hmm. to when they were born. You find nothing. Nothing. They're totally pure. He doesn't drink. He's never stolen anything. He doesn't. I mean, who, what man alive has been investigated more by the FBI than Donald Trump? Mm-hmm. Could you withstand that kind? I, I don't know if I could. I've written some bad checks probably in my life. <laughs> Not him. It's it's very rare to find an individual that's not a politician that's convinced to, to come in and try to save his country. And I think he did his best. But he misunder, he underestimated the global syndicate. And when I went to meet with uh, the Trump administration before it was inaugurated, this was during transition, I went to Trump Tower. And, of course, I was trying to talk to them about the future of energy And we had some good conversations, but at that time, they did not realize who they were messing with. It was was immensely powerful what was coming up against them. Well, it's like, you know, it's like getting a job. You're walking in, you think it's going to be, you know, old rosy dozy, but then you realize that the people that are running things at the job aren't really running things. It's somebody (laughs) else way above them that are calling the shots. Yeah, that's exactly right. You you take a look at the books and you go, you know, these don't balance. There's a couple million dollars missing here. Oh well, that's just a it's just a decimal point. Don't worry about that. We'll go to we'll have a ne- a meeting next Wednesday. We'll, we'll form a committee. The next thing you know, nothing is done. Time is on their side because they are ancient, ancient beings, and as long as they just wait, people go away. They just get old and go away. Yeah, they can just put new people in. It's just a never-ending flow. The really bad ones, though, the really bad ones, they're rare. Mm-hmm. They're rare because most humans can only take so much gore. Mm-hmm. But the, the there are really rare ones that can just take it all. And, and uh, they're the ones that rise to power and they're untouchable. That's why I wrote Charm of Favor. We were... I was actually trying to write a, a prequel to the birth trilogy. And uh, I got about four chapters into it. And we were gathering some really, we had gathered already some good information for this book, but we didn't have a name for it. And my editor and I were watching uh, the James Comey hearings. And we were on the phone together watching it on our computers. And I said, you know what? He's lying. And my editor said, yeah, he's lying. And here's the strange thing. They know he's lying. I said, so why don't they call him out on it? Why don't they make him answer the questions? And she said, I don't know. It's like it's like he has a charm of favor on him. I said, what's a charm of favor? 
She said, well, it's in witchcraft. You know, witches can put a charm on you. So that if you go to court or you go to a job interview or you go to an audit or something, nothing can stick to you. Everybody agrees with you. You're the best thing in the room. Oh, your hair looks wonderful today. We're so glad you're here. And next thing you know, they just walk out of the room like Lois Lerner on a $100,000 a year salary and nothing happens to you, even though you broke the law. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's it. That's the name of the book, Charm of Favor. It went to number one on Amazon numerous times, and it's been in the top 200 for like three years. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's just creepy. I mean, to, to me, it's creepy to think that the people we elect are being run by this higher power. I mean, because people are, you know, people are out voting thinking, okay, uh, you know, th- th- this person is for me. And it's just, it's not like that. Well, we have in this country for a long time, we've had faith in, in two things. First and foremost, we've had faith in the law because we really have a king in this country and it is the law. It's supposed to apply to everybody. Mm-hmm. And the second thing we've always had faith in, we've never, ever missed one, even in times of war, is elections. We believe in elections. Mm-hmm. And now we can go look back and go, wait a minute, 2008, maybe 2012. Oh, my God, 2000. And we start to see, wait a minute. We always wondered, how do these people like Pelosi and Nadler and Schiff, how do they keep getting reelected every two years? Mm-hmm. Who who votes for these people? It Nobody does. It doesn't matter. Their votes are pre-entered into the system. I call it Ballots R.S. Ballots R.S. is a, is a system of uh, counterfeit ballots. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot. I used to do a lot of business in China. I don't do much anymore. I still have some suppliers that only exist in China. We have to use them. But um, I made a lot of trips to China. And one of the things that I noticed were massive uh, high quality, highest quality on the planet, printing operations. And I saw what they do. They wait till the primaries are over so they know who's going to be on the ballot. And then they print millions of them. And then they ship them to warehouses in this country. And they sit in the warehouse and wait for election day. And somewhere in the night, the computers run their projections and they see what ballots they need and where, and then the trucks begin rolling. And these ballots come in all pre-printed, all pre-voted, and you say, how could they do that? Uh, You remember the hack of 2008 when Equifax was hacked? And again in 2018, they got everything. They got our signatures, our driver's licenses, our addresses, where we work, everything about us. How, how often we voted, if we ever voted. Mm-hmm. And they just pre-printed the ballots and dropped them in the system in just the right amounts to win by a few thousand here, a few thousand there. And because we have a winner-take-all in states, because inside the states, it's a democracy. Mm-hmm. Nationally, we have a republic. So we go off of the representatives of each state, but it's winner-take-all inside of each state. So If you look at it with any kind of logic, and I'm a statistician by nature of my trade, uh, nobody's ever lost Florida, Ohio, Iowa, Pennsylvania, and still won the election. Nobody's ever lost those states. And yet, here's the president that lost Florida, lost Ohio, lost Iowa, and, you know, barely squeaked out uh, uh, six other states, which, by the way, on I think it was Easter Sunday of 2020. This is eight months before the election. Uh, People didn't know about a little nonprofit that was called uh, Common Cause. Mm -hmm. These nonprofits have the weirdest names. But it was a a nonprofit called Common Cause. And what they did is they contracted with 15 states to withhold their electors until the popular vote was known. And then they would switch their state's electors to the popular vote. Mm -hmm. I said, I don't think all 15 states are going to do this because some of these states, it's going to be really obvious who won. 
-hmm. I think about six states will stop their count in the middle of the night. The AI, the artificial intelligence, will determine what ballots needed to be where. Mm -hmm. They would move those ballots, shove them into the system, and by the time the sun comes up, Donald Trump will lose the election. Well, nobody believed me. Nobody believed me. And sure enough, on election night, six states stopped their count in the middle of the night, threw out the observers, and ran the ballots through the system. And when the sun came up, it was over. It must be an incredible system, though. I mean, Mr. Trump, I mean, you know, he, he sued a lot of these a lot of these states. And that's the problem is justice is denied. Uh, we, you know, a million people went to Washington very peaceably. We didn't wear pink hats or dump trash on the ground or anything like that. And yet we were excoriated as insurrectionists. Mm -hmm. And there are still several hundred of us locked in a 19th century dungeon in D.C. being tortured to death. And this uh, commission is being used. And I, I will tell you, leaders, leaders, real leaders are sometimes born. It's rare. Sometimes they are born. Sometimes they're trained, you know, you go to war college and prep school and blah, blah, blah. But real leaders are forged. Real leaders are forged. Churchill forged in World War I. Lincoln. I mean, these leaders were forged in conflict. Those 400 and something patriots that are in that dungeon, they're not being weakened. They're being strengthened. And when they come out of there, and they will come out, I promise you that, that's where the leadership's going to come from. And you're never going to beat them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you see, you know, we're at this point now in the world, in the United States. How do you see things going from here on out? Well, I met with uh, Mark Fincham, who is uh, uh, in the... Uh, uh, Attorney General's Office of Arizona. Mm -hmm. And I met with uh, uh, two senators from that state face-to-face. -face, and I put that very question to them. And they said, well, here's what we're going to do for, for 2022. We have contacted a company that produces a tamper-proof ballot paper. There's technology in the threads of the paper. It's microscopic. And it's un, unhackable and it's uncounterfeitable. Uh, and it's serial numbered so that when we issue these ballots and these and any ballots come back into our system that don't have this on them, uh -huh. they're not going to count. Uh -huh. So then Mark Fincham and two of the senators went and visited, well, they visited all 50 states face to face and showed them this paper. So going forward, as far as election integrity goes, they're going to try to use this tamper-proof paper. That should take the Chinese counterfeiters out of the system. And if we can keep this from being an, an electronic election and keep it a strictly paper election, mm -hmm. I don't think that ballots are us can pull it off again in 2022. So I think going forward, what's going to happen is a revolution as far as the election goes, mm -hmm. I think 60, maybe 75 of the establishment members, both Democrat and Republican, are going to lose their jobs. Uh, the magic number today, actually, actually yesterday, is 55. And I say 55 because 55 primary candidates that were endorsed by President Donald Trump all one none of them lost mm -hmm. and the the real miracle about this is most of them ran against incumbents mm -hmm. that means those incumbents have already lost their job and they were republicans they were republicans they lost their jobs and they're all going to be replaced and i think the ones that are going to run against democrats in those states are going to win so i think the establishment which is basically the one-party system we have in Washington, mm -hmm. they're going to lose about 60 to 80 seats. And when that happens, a lot of these things will self-correct. Still going to have a president to fight, but I don't think it's going to be that difficult to do. At least everything will grind to a stop. Mm -hmm. And that's where we hope it'll go. 
Interesting. It's interesting to hear somebody's view on this stuff because, you know, we're all here. You know, the, the, the show is about free speech. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, I might have different political views than you do. But I mean, it's it's not it's it's interesting to sit down and hear somebody you know somebody else's view. I mean, that's what the world's built on. I mean, yeah. And the thing is, it, we're not really talking about politics. We're talking sure. about government. Sure. And and government is supposed to fear the people, and the mm -hmm. people, and it's supposed to serve at the will of the people. Mm -hmm. But whether you're on the right or on the left, it doesn't make any difference to me. Uh, what I want is government to serve the people, whatever the people want. But when government serves itself at the expense of the people, that's wrong. And that needs to right. be fixed. Right. Right. So at some point now, like you say, with, with, with the Anunnaki's involved, we're all going to end up back in war. Right. You know, at some point that's or something's going to happen. I mean, we just had this this so-called plague that hit us. That wasn't good enough. It's going <laughs> to be something else that's going to wipe us out. Well, was it really the disease that wiped us out or was it the cure? Was it the was it the lockdowns and the vaccines? They call them vaccines. I mean, look at all the people. Right. What is 128 million people in our country have had at least one uh, of the shots? Mm -hmm. And look at the injuries. Holy cow. I mean, I don't know. It just, it just seems strange to me uh, to have that many injuries from something that's supposed to and, and it's supposed to prevent you from getting the disease, which it doesn't. So I have my doubts about it. But I don't think the disease, in fact, I ran the statistics in um, July of 2020. And I, and I already went by the people that had already died of COVID. Mm -hmm. And I extrapolated that out. And I said, you know, by the time we hit herd immunity, less than 25,000 people are going to die of this disease. And we haven't even hit 20,000 yet. We're about 19,700 people or so in this country that have actually died of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, died of other things, yes, but not, I mean, died with COVID, yes, of course, but not of COVID. So it wasn't really as deadly a disease as they really wanted it to be. It's the actions that they took to hammer our society that really damaged us, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So what's next for you? Uh, well, I'm working on book number 12, which is a sequel to Charm of Favor. And, of course, the characters, the way I write my books, they're not fiction. Uh, it's called uh, uh, historical fiction. So basically, you take real events, both in, in the newspaper and, you know, regular events like landing on the moon or World War II or something like that. And then I put fictional characters in there. To so that you can get to know what went on on the ground. Mm -hmm. So we take you through events that you kind of saw from the news and we put you on the ground when that event was happening so you could see what stress was happening. We did it, incredible amounts of research. We found letters and diaries and all kinds of things that put these pieces together. And then my fictional characters carry you through that. So those fictional characters are in this next book, Mm -hmm. And we're going deeper into this, uh, we call it a deep state war. I guess you all could recognize that, that we have uh, nefarious players who are dealing with amounts of money that don't even make money worth anything. It's so much money you couldn't spend it in a thousand lifetimes, but it's not about the money. It's about the power. It's about the control. It's about suppressing freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's why programs like yours are so vital because you don't hear this out there. People don't mm -hmm. get to speak freely and they don't get to arouse your faculties and get you thinking, mm -hmm. I see now that makes sense to me now where it didn't make sense to me before. Mm -hmm. So book 12, I'm not going to give you the title because it would, sure. it's, <laughs> it's really good. It's better than Charm of Favor. It's going to expand this out. In fact, it may end up being two books, which will make the Charm series uh, a trilogy again, because the scope is just too big. Mm -hmm. And the events that are in the book are actually unfolding right now. In fact, the events from Charm of Favor finished unfolding about March of this year. Mm -hmm. And it was published in 2018. Fantastic. Fantastic. Very prophetic. How can people find you? Well, the easiest way is my name. 
in Amazon, it's Brooks Agnew. Google, it's Brooks Agnew. Uh, my website's brooksagnew.blog. So it's it, I'm just easy to find. I've been around active for 20 years, been blogging for uh, or uh, actually doing my radio program for 18 years. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to find. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I've learned so much. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. I, I really like your program. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, maybe we'll get you back on sometime, okay? For sure. Fantastic. You have a good one, Brooks, okay? All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Well, that was our surprise guest tonight, and it's a great way to end the week. And, uh, okay, now, now let's see. You guys know from following me on Facebook and following me on Twitter what my political views are, how I feel about stuff, okay? But I also am a journalist. And I feel that everybody's entitled to their opinion on what they think. So, you know, th- this is what tonight was. Um, it it kind of went a different direction than I had originally expected. And, uh, uh, you know, it just teetered off. I, I have friends. I have a lot of friends like him, you know. So, I you know, I feel everybody's entitled to their opinion. I'm willing to at least listen. I know it, I know it riles some people up tonight. And uh, that's, that's, that, that, that's, that's. Like he says, it, it, it makes you think, even if it's in a negative way or whatever. But, you know, there has to be, you know, the world is full of positives and negatives because that's the way it is. I mean, if, if the world was all positive, it would be, you know, we'd all be running around like in some Star Trek show where everybody's smiling and, and you know, and, and, and skipping and playing music or, or whatever. So we need, you know, the, that other half. So anyway, um, just to let you I don't endorse anything that he said. Okay. All right. You guys know that. You guys know me better than that personally but as a journalist you know it's my job to listen and interview and that's what i did all right i did bring you know i did i did point out the the stuff about the lawsuits and all that you know that lost in court you know over the voting thing and all that so you know anyway i was glad to have this gentleman on and uh tomorrow (laughs) we're going to lighten things up a lot uh nancy matt is going to be with us Uh, i was thinking of talking about um I was thinking, let me catch my breath here. I was thinking, I was thinking of talking about multidimensional stuff. Like when, when she looks in on an investigation, if we're out there remotely, sometimes she'll see like three different eras where she'll see like things back in the 1800s, 1700s, and maybe the 2000s. She'll see all the eras smashed together. And then she's trying to figure out, you know, how to sort it out and, and see what we're looking at and who we're talking to on, on investigations. So, you know, I think that's what we're going to talk about. We may talk about, I'm sick of asking her about past lives because she knows about that stuff too. I know you guys like that topic. So she'll be here at 6.30 tomorrow. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, if you liked the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people anyway. If you hate me, share share me with five people. <laughs> if you're watching from YouTube, Please subscribe. Uh, there's that little guy down the corner, the ghost with the uh, magnifying glass and the Sherlock Holmes hat on. And please uh, click on that to subscribe. We've got 200 and some odd videos up there. And all the videos have different topics. Okay. And it's not just like I, it's not just all about ghosties and stuff. It's There's some politics in there and some different things. But I want to thank you all for coming. And I'm going to try and do this. <laughs> Like I see, California Haunts is, it acts as a nonprofit, even though we're not, it's just a hobby for us. And I love your quote, a pox on all of you. I love it. Um, yeah, I know they are, Athena. <laughs> I like the um, a pox on all of you. <laughs> I was watching. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah. See, I don't usually go. I don't usually go political, so kind of, it kind of threw me too. So I <laughs> say that, but okay. Anyway, uh, you know, California Haunts acts as a nonprofit organization, and so even though we're not, because you know, it's a hobby essentially, we're going out to help people. But uh, all this comes out of my pocket for the production of the show. So if you could help me out, uh, PayPal.me at California Haunts, that would be great because I'm trying to get the bills paid and, and keep the show on the air, so we can have great guests and controversial guests and you know everything else. If not, uh, California Haunts, you know, paypal.me at California Haunts, then Venmo. Go to Venmo, do your Venmo account at Venmo, and then type in California Haunts, and we can do it that way. And that would be wonderful because I'm trying to get my bills paid for the internet, you know, and all the equipment that breaks and whatnot. Anyway, (laughs) that being said, 
I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with Medium Nancy Matt. But uh, interesting show. And like I said, I, I believe in letting old viewpoints come out. And I did that tonight. And I thought I, did fair, I was fair about it. And God bless y'all. And I'll see you tomorrow. Hang on. Let me push my button. Ah, uh, where'd it go? And I will see you tomorrow. Bye.